Antioxidants, they're a food marketer's dream. With promises of helping to keep your waistline slim, your heart healthy, and your brain sharp, is there anything these wonder molecules can't do? Blueberries, dark chocolate, green tea, and whatever happens to be trendy in the juice bar scene makes for a great reason to eat something delicious that can also be good for your health. But the time of antioxidants has come and gone. Nutrition science has moved on and now promotes the benefits that thousands of other natural chemicals found in foods can have, most with nothing at all to do with their antioxidant activity. In this podcast, I'll outline the role antioxidants play in the body and explain why food is much more than antioxidants when it comes to health. Welcome to the Thinking Nutrition Podcast. My name is Tim Crow, and I'm a career researcher, educator, and science communicator with most of this spent in the field of nutrition. How do you make sense of so much conflicting information in the field of nutrition? While I don't profess to have all the answers in an area that is continually changing as research changes, you can count on what is covered in this podcast to be based on the whole field of nutrition science, not just selective areas that support a particular way of thinking. And this podcast will always be free from any commercial product tie-ins, endorsements, or advertisements. Just credible nutrition science presented in plain and simple language, and then translating this into what it means for your health. So on with today's show. Antioxidants have been big news for many years. With promises of preventing and treating many diseases, it is no wonder that they get top billing when assessing the health merits of food. Berries, beans, green leafy vegetables, tea, pecan nuts and dark chocolate are common foods with some of the highest antioxidant values. So what exactly are these antioxidants and what do they do? Antioxidants serve important roles in our body. One of these is helping to mop up excess free radicals. Free radicals are unstable molecules that can damage cells. They form when atoms or molecules gain or lose electrons. The body generates free radicals as the inevitable byproduct of turning food into energy. And that's what metabolism is after all. Free radicals are also formed after exercising, which is a good thing, or exposure to cigarette smoke and air pollution, which is not so much of a good thing. The body can cope with some free radicals and even needs them to function effectively. However, the damage caused by an overabundance of free radicals over time may become irreversible and lead to certain diseases, including heart disease and some cancers. This is because a free radical can damage other molecules as it seeks out electrons to stabilize itself. Having an imbalance of electrons makes the free radical unstable and places the body in a state of oxidative stress. Oxidation can be accelerated by stress, cigarette smoking, alcohol, too much sunlight, pollution and other factors. Oxidative stress and an excess of free radicals can lead to damage of nucleic acids found in our DNA, which can lead to cancerous changes. Free radicals can also damage membrane lipids 
and LDL cholesterol in arteries, which can begin the process of artery blockage. Free radicals can also damage enzymes, which are involved in repairing cell structures, as well as damaging proteins such as collagen, causing premature wrinkling of the skin. But we aren't defenseless against free radicals because antioxidants can short-circuit the damage caused by free radicals and prevent or reduce the damage caused by oxidation. So it seems logical that the more antioxidants a person eats, the healthier they will be. Antioxidants first came to the public's attention in the 1990s, when scientists began to understand that free radical damage was involved in the early stages of heart disease, cancer, vision loss, and a host of other chronic conditions. Some studies showed that people with low intakes of antioxidant-rich fruits and vegetables were at greater risk of developing these chronic conditions, more so than people who ate plenty of these foods. But antioxidants are not just one molecule. They represent a property that is part of many vitamins and minerals, such as vitamins A, C and E, and the minerals copper, zinc and selenium, plus a bunch of others. But there are thousands of other chemicals that have some potential antioxidant activity, and these compounds are called polyphenols. There are over 8,000 different types of polyphenols found in fruits, vegetables, grains, legumes, tea, and coffee. A brief reading about polyphenols on the internet will bring up article after article highlighting that polyphenols are antioxidants and that explains their health benefits. Nutrition science, though, has well and truly moved on from using such simplistic language and concepts to describe how these thousands of polyphenols found in food work. They are much more than antioxidants. Focusing only on antioxidants or a single phytonutrient is like zeroing in on a section of a painting and seeing only the dots. You need to step back and see the bigger picture. It should instead be about polyphenols and their multitude of benefits and action in the body, such as regulating cell growth and death, slowing down cancer cell proliferation, altering glucose responses and insulin sensitivity, as well as increasing activity of enzymes involved in removing harmful substances from the body. And then you can add in decreasing inflammation. For many years, food manufacturers promoted the antioxidant capacity of foods assessed by an in vitro test called an oxygen radical absorbent capacity test, or an ORAC. A database with ORAC values was maintained in the past by the United States Department of Agriculture. The database highlighted foods with high ORAC scores, including cacao, berries, spices, and legumes. This ORAC test, though, only applies to what is happening in a test tube, and there is a very big question mark hanging over extending this to what actually happens inside our body. The ORAC database was actually removed from the government website in 2012 because of misuse in the promotion of food and supplements. So the concept of antioxidant capacity of food is just a very small part in assessing the overall health merits of that food. And with antioxidants, more is not always better. 
there is increasing evidence that antioxidants are more effective when obtained from whole foods, rather than isolated from food and given in the form of a supplement. In fact, some antioxidant supplements have been found to actually increase cancer risk. For instance, vitamin A as beta-carotene, when it is part of food, has been associated with a reduced risk of certain cancers. But taken in a supplement form, there is clear evidence that it increases cancer risk in some people, especially lung cancer in smokers. In fact, a 2010 meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials that use antioxidant supplements to help prevent cancer found zero evidence for a benefit of supplements. And that includes supplements containing vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin E, beta-carotene, and selenium. And I'll link to this study in the show notes. Because antioxidants are needed for normal physiological functioning, foods containing them are important to include in our diets. But foods high in antioxidants are also high in thousands of other plant chemicals that have a multitude of physiologic effects on the body. Focus instead on eating a diversity of these plant foods and focus less on antioxidants. It is the diversity of foods, especially plant foods, that matter most for good health, not their antioxidant content. Now onto my research wrap-up segment, where I profile a study that has grabbed my attention during the week. And the topic for this week is on the health perils of shift work, with a major scientific review finding that night shift workers have a higher risk of being saddled with excess weight, especially the more harmful fat around the abdomen. Shift work is becoming increasingly popular for employees because of the high demand for flexibility and productivity in workforces in modern society. This can come with a downside though, with shift work recently identified as an important occupational hazard. A growing body of evidence links shift work with adverse health effects, such as metabolism abnormalities that include obesity and its related metabolic health conditions, such as type 2 diabetes and high blood pressure and high blood lipids. How strong the link between shift work and obesity is was the subject of a recent systematic review. The review looked at 28 studies that explored the health impact of shift work. Shift work, in this case, was defined as where employees regularly switch between daytime and overnight schedules or worked exclusively overnight shifts. And I'll link to this study in the show notes. Here's what the study found. The link between shift work and obesity was strong, with an approximate 20 to 30% higher risk of obesity seen for those that did shift work. The review also found that workers who were permanent shift workers were even more likely to gain excess weight compared to those that alternated between day and night shifts. A new insight from the work was that it was the risk of the much more dangerous abdominal obesity that specifically went up for those who routinely worked nights. Shift work is a challenge to the body's natural circadian rhythm. This is compounded by being exposed to light at night, which suppresses the creation of melatonin. Melatonin plays a key role in regulating hormones, such as insulin, cortisol, and leptin. 
changing the regulation of these key hormones involved in metabolism, stress and appetite can in turn lead to abnormal metabolic changes. Shift work is a real health occupational hazard. Good sleep habits around shift work are vital. Shift work can also be a challenge to healthy eating and exercise regularity. Shift workers should be even more aware of this and take healthy foods and snacks with them to work rather than rely on more limited options during the nighttime hours. Employers also need to take some level of responsibility and be flexible with schedules to avoid prolonged exposure to long-term night shift work for any single employee. So that's it for today's show. You can find the show notes either in the app you're listening to this podcast on if it supports it or else head over to my webpage at thinkingnutrition.com.au and click on the podcast section to find this episode to read the show notes. If you find this podcast of value, then please consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues, or maybe even leave a review. This all helps increase the ranking and reach of the podcast, which means a big win for credible, evidence-based nutrition messages while helping to dilute out the crazy and making the world a slightly less confusing place. I'm Tim Crow, and you've been listening to Thinking Nutrition. Thank you.